0: Oh man, it's great to be back in Amarillo driving in yesterday. It just felt so much at home, so many memories. Being back here with you at Southwest is such a a joy to me. I love that we get to partner. When we were here in Amarillo at Central, we felt like we were partners with you guys in the gospel. I remember so many good combined worship services, some here, some there. Uh, And and I remember two years ago, well, it was two and a half years ago, 2018, Brian and I, and and Greg Ogburn and Jerry Morgan uh, got to be part of a group that did a prayer and vision trip around the Med Rim, and they got to meet some of the people that we're reaching out to and some of the people working and pray over. And boy, it just really cements your heart together when you get to do things like that. But I gotta tell you, Brian was kind of hard to control. Um, we would be going places and we'd be getting ready to go to on, the, on the subway. And where's Brian? Where's Brian? We got to all stay together. Brian's over talking to some refugee over here trying to talk to him about Jesus. And we're like, Brian, we're not here to do ministry. We're here to go places and do things. You know, and he just kept, kept loving on people the whole time. And, and I, I think that really is the spirit of this church that understands it's about people. It's about people, it's about kings, it's about people. It's not about organizations and institutions, buildings, programs, it's about people. So here's my question for you today, we're gonna be talking about, how is your vision? How is your vision? Um, I gotta confess, at my age, my vision is not what it used to be and neither is my hearing. Uh, But for years and years, my wife and I used to love, Amy and I used to love to go out to a restaurant and have a conversation. Now, we either go to a restaurant or we have a conversation but I can't really have a very good conversation in a restaurant anymore. Too much rock and roll, too many birthdays. Um, and, and my vision is starting to go. I now have the joy of presbyopia. So I have progressive lenses, which means that anything above about here at the grocery store in small print, I'm doing this, trying to look through the bottom of my lenses, About the head's about to fall off m- the back of my body. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is such a challenge. And, and eyesight is a challenge. Your eyes don't do what they used to do. But even when your eyes are working really well, vision is tricky. We think we see better than we do, and our eyes are not as reliable as they think we are. So let me show you a picture uh, here. All right, how many of you, when you saw that, instantly you saw a duck? Raise your hands. All right, how many of you saw a rabbit? Oh, wow, first service was overwhelmingly duck church. This is more blended. Okay, I would love to know what it is about us that makes some people gravitate to duck and some people gravitate to rabbit. Maybe some of us are right vision and some of us are left vision. I don't know, but we don't see the same things. Or look at this next picture and tell me which is up. Which way is up? Is it in front of you? Is it the top? Is it the left? Is it the bottom? And I bet you we would not give the same answer, but it's too complicated to even raise hands because we don't see the same thing. As an undergraduate uh, in college, my major was psychology because, you know, I wanted to make a lot of money. Uh, And uh, uh, one of the things that they taught us in psychology is we see what we are prepared to see. We see what we are prepared to see. Now, after 30-some years of ministry, my wife and I have been to a lot of events together, small groups, churches, uh, gatherings in our home, various kinds of events, and we have driven home. Or debriefed many times afterwards. And I often will say, well, I think that went really well. And she will say, did you see so-and-so? I think you better talk to them. They looked like they were really hurt or offended or concerned. And she was like 100% accurate every time. And I was there. I didn't see it. I'm looking right at them. I don't see it. She saw stuff I didn't see. Because she's operating in a completely different visual space with different sensitivities. And, and in the Gospels, people don't see the same things when they see Jesus, do they? Jesus is doing the exact same thing everywhere he goes. And some people see Son of God and some people see the devil. And some people see a charlatan. And it's like, we thought, oh, if I could do miracles, everybody would believe. Really? They didn't when Jesus did them. Because people don't see the same things. We all tend to bend reality to fit our expectations. The technical term for that is confirmation bias. We go through the world looking for confirmation of what we already believe and we see it absolutely everywhere. That's why eyewitness testimony is some of the least reliable testimony you can get in court because people see what they expect to see and we don't remember what we saw. We remember how we interpreted what we saw and how we interpret what we saw is based on what we expected to see before we got there. That's the way humans work. That's why our politics is so complicated. We all watch the same news footage and we come away with completely different interpretations of what happened. I've been spending a lot of time in the last few years with uh, African American churches. And when you're in black majority spaces and you're listening to their conversations, and then you go to white majority spaces, you'll see their conversations, and you realize we are not seeing the same reality. And we all have the same kinds of eyes. And that's why, compl- that's why politics is so complicated. We keep thinking if we repeat the same arguments that people will agree with us. They don't see the same reality. We can look at the same events and come away with completely different understandings. And here's the thing. None of us see things as they are. We see things as we are. Our vision is shaped by what we believed before we looked And the stories that we live in, our story that we use to make sense of the world creates a range of plausibility for us that determines our perceptions. And so that kind of determines the things that we're willing to accept, the kind of things that we're just going to discount we decide because of the story we're living and we decide which pieces of the data in front of us we'll focus on. Then we'll determine how we interpret those and then what we remember and the story we construct around it is shaped by that. See, so our eyes don't tell us what is there. Our eyes tell us who we are. They tell us who we are. And that's true in the spiritual realm. Churches see pretty much what they expect to see. And it just confirms what they already believe. And it takes more than facts, more than data to change our vision. It takes an act of God on us that affects our vision and allows us to operate in faith instead of fear. And we got a lot of churches in America that are living a life, viewing life through fear, and they think everything's falling apart, and the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and it's as if God is on vacation, got old, tired, or died. And it's all up to us, and it's just awful, 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 awful. And And I'm like, really? It's funny, that's not what I see. It's not what I see. How is your vision? How well do you see what God is doing In the world how well can you see what God is calling you to do with him it's a faith question that speaks to our expectations and if we can't see what God is doing today if we can't see how the gospel story is playing out and how God is unrolling it in our world today that means we've lost the plot and if we've lost the plot we don't know how to play our roles because we don't know what's going on. That's why Jesus says in Luke 11, verse 34, the eye is the lamp of the body, and when your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. If you can see what God is doing, you can understand the plot, you know how to play your role, everything makes sense. If 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 your eyes are bad, if you can't make sense of it, then Jesus says, you're really stuck in darkness. You're in trouble. And there is a reason why, there is a reason why we get to st- get stuck in these really, really dark, dark stories because we've lost uh, the vision of God operating in the world. And, and God has been operating and trying to cast vision before us since he appeared to Abram in a vision and called him to follow him. God appears in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham and he calls Abram to go be his instrument, and he wants to bless all nations of the earth, but he's going to start with the family of Abram and build one nation that will be his instrument to reach all nations. And ever since, he's been trying to get all of us to catch that vision of uniting and blessing all nations and redeem and restoring everything that he has created. And, and today, we are still living out that story, and we're still trying to live out that vision, but we're struggling to make sense of it because we have, I think, lost the vision or we've been captured by other stories. A lot of our churches are filled with people like the blind man in Mark 8 that Jesus spits and touches his eyes and says, can you see? And he says, well, I I see people walking around, but they look like trees. And Jesus has to give him a second touch. And after he gives him the second touch, then he sees clearly. We've got people who've been touched by Jesus, and we see something, but it's not clear. We can't make sense of it. We need a second touch to get past our fear, to make sense of what's happening in the world, to, to see clearly what God is doing in the world so we can follow him. And that's certainly what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And Peter preaches that great kind of inaugural sermon that launches the church And it was a very confusing experience. People didn't know what to make of it. There's this wind, and then there's fire, and then all of these people going around speaking in languages they haven't studied and don't know, and that people from at least 19 different countries, maybe 20-something countries, are, are hearing the gospel in their own language. And, and nobody knows what to make of it. And people are trying to create stories to make sense of this because what they're saying is that a recently executed religious zealot who claimed to be the king of the Jews has been raised from the dead. Now, clearly, that doesn't make sense. So what are we going to do? Well, they're all drunk. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, that's a plausible story. Let's go with that one. They're all drunk. Yeah. But see, God hadn't spoken to his people like this for 400 years. And Israel thought that time was over, and they were afraid to dream that God would do something like he did with their ancestors in the past. But Peter gets up and he said, let me tell you what's going on. And he tells the story. And he goes all the way back to the beginning and he brings the story forward. He says, Jesus was the Messiah, long promised. But you didn't understand. You didn't see it. You you killed him, but God raised him and made him Lord in Christ. And 3,000 people got baptized that day after they got the second touch and they were able to see clearly. But not everybody, not everybody, But see, Acts 2 reveals that God's work can be hard to recognize without vision correction. And Peter, in his sermon, refers back to an obscure passage from a forgettable minor prophet called Joel who had lived 800 years before oh my goodness that was so long ago and 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 in those days God was using the Assyrian nation the enemy awful empire to come in and punish his own people because they had lost the plot they had lost the vision for what God was doing they weren't following him and Joel predicted that there would be a future time when God would restore Israel and would operate in the world in a dramatic way and Peter quotes from Joel Chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, when he said, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. What? All people? You mean not just Israel? All people. All people? And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, I didn't write that. That's right there. And your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And Peter said what Joel prophesied, Back fact, eight centuries ago, that's happening now. Peter was saying that Jesus' resurrection was the critical moment in history. God was on the move in a new way. He was transforming the world. And I'm telling you today, God is still on the move. And Pentecost is still happening around us. And we're missing it because we're looking in the wrong place. At a recent mission conference before COVID... I heard Leith Anderson get up and speak and say, if you count globally, on average, 3,000 people give their life to Jesus every hour of every day around the planet. Pentecost happens every hour of every day around the planet, just not all in one place. In 1900, 80% of Christians lived either in Europe or North America, 80%. By 2000, only 37% of Christians lived in Europe or North America. Now, some of that is because the church in Europe declined, and it's been in some decline here in the United States, but most of that is the global expansion of the kingdom that has just exploded south of the equator in the global south and in the far east, where there may be 100, as many as 160 million followers of Jesus in China. I mean, we don't really know numbers because you know they don't have great accounting. Um, but it's, it's, it's amazing. We're living in, in a golden era of the expansion of the gospel. And, and I know in the United States, among white people, that the church is plateaued and even declining. I know Gallup came out and said last week or the week before that for the first time since they've been counting, which started in 1937, that over half of Americans don't have a church home. 47% of people claim that they are church members. And we're just wringing our hands and everything's falling apart. And, oh, but did you know that among people of color in the United States, among immigrants, the gospel is growing? Did you know globally that the gospel is growing? We're kind of like the only people who are not moving with what God is doing. We don't see it. And we think it's going bad because we're only looking right here. And God, the farmer, has come into the vineyard with his knife. And he's cutting He's cutting and we're afraid he's cutting us off. He's not cutting us off, he's cutting us back. He's pruning us to make us more fruitful. There's a lot of dead wood, a lot of of weight that's not producing any fruit. God's gonna gonna prune his vine, but he's not done with us. He's preparing us for what comes next and he wants us to stay engaged with it. But globally, we're living in a golden age of the kingdom of God. Why has that happened? Why has the gospel just exploded in so many places around the world? Well, I'm going to give you two primary reasons. Number one, a lot of churches like the Southwest Church of Christ have faithfully given and sent missionaries all over the world. Thank you. Thank you. And secondly, God is not dead. He's not even tired. God's not even old. He's still the Lord of the harvest. He does what he does. And God still calls us into his mission both locally and globally. And so the majority world, what we used to call the third world, and boy is that a condescending term, the majority world has 70% of the world's Christians right now. The majority world has 70% of the world's Christians, but they only have 17% of the church's money. Guess who has most of the money? And we need to bring that in service to the global church. But we have more than money to share. We have leadership training, we have education, we have medicine, we have, we have engineering, we have all kinds of ways that we can partner with the global church to accelerate something that God is doing there with them, and we need to stay engaged with it, not because we have all the answers and we're the bosses of the global church, oh my goodness, no, but we need to stay engaged because of what we can learn from the partnership, because the research and development wing of the church is happening in other countries, and we need to learn from what God is doing, where the kingdom is exploding, and then say, how do we bring that back here, we need to ask them to evaluate us instead of us always evaluating them. And, and I get to hear so many amazing stories. I love my job. I'm, I, I miss having a congregation some of the time, and sometimes I'm kind of glad I don't have one. But, but, but I tell you, this last year, not so much. Um, but uh, I, I get to hear these amazing stories about what is what God is doing, especially among the Muslim background people around the Mediterranean. God is using terrorism, war, refugee crisis to drive people from Muslim backgrounds to Jesus in phenomenal ways. This has never happened in 1,400 years. In 1,400 years, there was almost no, no movement to Jesus from Muslim countries, and in the last 15 years, more people have come to Jesus from a Muslim background than the 1,400 years preceding it combined. People are fleeing war-torn countries where there's a lot of demagoguery and a lot of oppression and a lot of of just ongoing conflict and ISIS and all this kind of stuff. And they're fleeing into Europe where there's freedom of religion. And four out of seven Muslim background peoples, when talked to Christians there, will say they had a vision or dream of Jesus along the way. And I've shared some of those stories with you in the past of people who come and they're like, please tell me about this Isa, which is the name for Jesus in the Quran." Isa appeared to us on the way, and we began to pray to him, and we were in trouble, and and he delivered us, And we, but we don't, we don't know about Isa. They don't even know the story of the crucifixion a lot of the time. They don't know the story of the resurrection, but they've been praying to Isa, and things have happened, or or Jesus appeared to me in a dream, and this man in white, and he said, I am the door. What does that mean? Or I am the bread of life, and what does that mean? And, and you want to talk about low-hanging fruit, and you say, well, that doesn't fit my experience. Okay, well, it doesn't fit your experience, but that doesn't mean God isn't Doing that, people are coming to Jesus in amazing numbers, and I want to read to you uh, from an email from one of the Medram workers that you've helped get on the ground, working in northern Greece among refugees in refugee camps. And I'm the I'm going to change the name, and we're going to show you some pictures, but we have to pixelate all the faces because sometimes Christians from Muslim backgrounds uh, are physically assaulted. Uh, beaten up mistreated because of their faith in jesus so this is live stream so we can't show pictures and i got to change some names but i'll call the guy rami he's a former muslim muslim background guy who now is not only a disciple of jesus but he's now a disciple maker and he's functioning like a member of the mission team and one of the missionaries that uh, is part of the Medrim, who came from america wrote this he said rami is a dear friend and teammate from iran He's one of a few Muslim background guys on our full-time team that came to know Jesus in a refugee camp through our team and now works with us in reaching and serving others. About 11 months ago, Rami and I were meeting with a group of refugees outside their camp far up in the mountains in a rugged village that looks like it's out of an old cowboy movie. Typically, one of the first things we do is we have a discovery Bible study, and we make time for everybody in the group to share some good news and any struggle they want prayer for, and one of the couples in the group said that they had been trying without for many years, and they kept having miscarriages and had a few stillborn. And they said, it's been very hard, particularly on the wife, and they asked if we could pray for them. So we prayed, and the next week the husband told us he had an amazing dream where Jesus came to him and handed him a baby. And he was in tears even as he shared it with us. Just a few weeks after that, they found out his wife was pregnant, and they asked for prayer again, concerned because of their history with miscarriages, but hopeful because of the dream Well, the baby boar was born last month, so I'll show you a picture of of the baby boar. And he's healthy, and they're so happy to have him. Now, they're still on a path toward Jesus, but they believe that Jesus is speaking and working with them, and and, and now they're drawn to Jesus. Well, the next part of the story also shows God's love and resurrection power. A few weeks ago, we received a call from the same family that they needed some help. They didn't have any clothes for the baby, you know, because they can't just go to Walmart or Target. You're in a refugee camp in the middle of a pandemic. And so due to a lockdown, because they had had a spike and so the government locked them down, we couldn't get to them. But we have another refugee in our network that lives in the village right outside their camp. And so I called him and asked if he'd be willing to make a trip to visit them and see what they need. And he said he'd be glad to. And the timing was perfect because he and his wife had a bag of baby clothes they needed to give away. God is so good. And another wonderful thing about this story is that The one family are Kurdish refugees from Syria, and the other are Iranian refugees. And normally, they wouldn't mix, but now in Jesus, they are family. Now, that's one of the less dramatic stories. It just happens to be one of the most recent. God is doing amazing things things and and through our medrim partnership we've got 16 churches now they're in this partnership we've got three teams and two countries We've got three in the pipeline ready to go one was supposed to launch last year but got coveted we've got a another team that's from cuba you can put a picture up of of them uh, and and they're getting ready to go to a north african country um and so we're going to have cubans from a communist country going with american money to a muslim country in north africa only god thinks of this stuff um and and Uh, Let me just show you a picture of a guy. uh, I can use his name, but I can't show you his name. Merdod. Uh, Merdod spent some time in prison in Iran for crimes that he committed where he was first drawn to Jesus by Christians who were in prison for their faith and the way that they handled their torture. He wanted to know about Jesus. So after he got out of of prison, he became a refugee, and he started trying to find somebody who could tell him about Jesus. Now he's a disciple maker. He's baptized over 500 people. Show a picture of the little house church there. Um, that's with some of the missionaries and somebody who's a new believer. He's already baptized over 500 people and there are churches that have sprung up in eight other countries in Europe from people who came to know Jesus in Greece led by Merodot who was led to Christ by missionaries and trained. I, I, you can't make this stuff up. Or I want to tell you about Nathan and Massa. They're from Iran. They got arrested, they got thrown in prison then they got deported because they were Christians and they kept telling people about Jesus. And they end up in a refugee camp in Turkey. And then they won the lottery. They got one of the very few visas to come to the United States. You know what they did? They walked into a church in the United States and said, do you have any video equipment we can use to shoot videos for the underground church leaders in Iran because we want to still do some training with them? And then they introduced them to us, and now they're in our training program, and they want to go back to a country next to Iran because they still want to make disciples of Jesus, even though they won the lottery to get an American visa. amazing things that God is doing. I, and, and I know these stories stretch us to think that God does that, you know. I mean, I, I, I'm not telling you you should expect Jesus to show up in your dreams tonight and talk to you. He may do that, I don't know, he didn't ask me about that. That That's, a, that's usually happen to me. I don't have that experience, it's not my experience. But God doesn't always work in the same way everywhere all the time. And in places that don't have churches and they don't have Bibles, God's still longing for people, he's still reaching out to people, he still finds a way to get people's attention and in every story I've heard where Jesus appeared to somebody or began to, they began to have a vision or a dream, God led them to somebody with a Bible who knew Jesus, who could complete the experience for them, just like he did with Saul of Tarsus and, and Ananias. And, and if you have a Bible and you're not reading it, don't expect Jesus to show up in a dream, you know, and give it to you on a silver platter. But nevertheless, God's doing stuff. And, and here's my point. Here's what I want you to take away from this. If God can give dreams and visions to Muslim background people who've never known Jesus while they're asleep... Can't he give those of us who know him dreams and visions while we're awake? I'm not asking you to dream at night. I'm asking you to do some day dreaming. I'm asking you to open your eyes and your minds and your hearts and to dream bigger and to see more and to not put God in a box and don't limit what God can do to what you can imagine. Don't limit God to your past experience. God is bigger than we can imagine, and He's not waiting on us to make plans for Him. He's out there doing stuff, and He's saying, Come on with me, come on with me. When I was preaching, I I used to feel like the church and I had a disagreement. I felt like I was standing at the church door, and they were saying to me that I should be telling the world, Come in here with me. And I felt like I was standing at the church door saying to the church, Come out here with me. God is asking us to go out into the world. And to imagine that he's already out there operating and living. In Ephesians 3, 20-21, Paul put it this way. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I heard a missions leader say a little over a year ago, if your agency can handle your mission alone then your vision is too small and your strategy is too cowardly. And I would say that to churches. If if your mission isn't too big for you to do alone, then your vision is too small and your strategy is too cowardly. We're not competing with other lighthouses. We need each other. This is too big to do alone. It's too important not to do well. We've got to work together together. And the biggest challenge we have in the U.S. church is our God is too small and our vision is too nearsighted. And we're, we're looking at institutional visions instead of global visions. And, and we're not collaborating with each other. We don't have a vision for our city that the churches are doing together. We don't have a vision for our nation that churches are doing together. We don't have a vision for our world because we feel like we're trying to save our institutions instead of expand the kingdom. And we operate with a scarcity mentality Zero-sum mass, so that if somebody wins, somebody else loses. But we serve a God of abundance who can multiply loaves and fishes. And if you want to understand something, I, 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 I really want you to understand that you at Southwest are part of something so much bigger than what you can see here. And you play a critical role in a global mission that plays out here, but it plays out elsewhere too. Because God is still the Lord of the harvest, and he's still leading the charge. And he's just asking you to follow him, not to direct him. And he calls you to join what he's doing and, and to bring your gifts to the party and to catch God's vision and to not be afraid to do some day dreaming about what could be. The story of the Southwest Church can't be told if you only talk about what's happening in Amarillo. It's a global story. That only God can see fully. We just have to throw ourselves in, not knowing the end of the story, except the very end where it's all completed, that's shown to us already. But as big as this is, it can be even bigger if we'll allow God to open up our eyes, expand our imaginations, open up our hearts, engage deeper. And there are thousands and thousands of people in the world today who know Jesus because of what you as a church have done and supported and sent. And one day they're going to line up and thank you. In 2005, I went to Brazil and preached in one of the churches that the Central Church had been helping for years. And, you know, I was preaching through a translator and preaching in another country and a culture and it was awkward and it didn't feel, it just felt so awkward. And, and afterwards, here all these people came up to touch me and kiss me and stroke me and hug me and make me feel really uncomfortable because I'm an American and I really need three feet of private space and I'd be perfectly comfortable if we continued that after COVID is over. And, and, and yet here they are and they keep coming up. And I remember Fabio and Simone, this one couple who just kept saying to me, thank you, thank you, thank you for sending us Jesus. I'm like, oh, oh, that's what this is about, right? That's what this is about. And one day, when we're all together and God is done, there's going to be a line of thousands of people who are going to come to you as a member of the Southwest Church and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for sending us Jesus. But in the meantime, you're investing in stories and places you'll never go with people you'll never see and people you'll never know until that day. And your vision is going to have to sustain you. Until that day when God gathers all the nations in the new Jerusalem. And I I can just see it now, can't you? Can't you just see it now? So how's your vision?